very much. The Book of Psalms, the Psalter, is sometimes called the Bible's songbook. Uh, it is more than just songs. It's uh, all sorts of things. It's history, it's testimony, it's uh, promises and prophecy, confession and adoration. Uh, some of those do come in the format of songs, but not all of them. We can be sure, though, reading the section of psalms that we're in at the moment in our morning and evening services, that we are reading songs because they're entitled the Songs of Ascent. And certainly this song in particular has a, a character to it of a song, indeed a love song, not a romantic love song, but a devotional love song about our relationship with the Lord. Uh, it's in two parts, a prayer and then some promises. In the prayer, we can see uh, in verse 1, uh, that prayer, remember David, the uh, congregation prayers, they travel up, ascending up to Jerusalem. And then in verse 10 as well, for the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. That prayer about David, about God remembering his anointed one, his king, sandwiching a remembrance of an event that happens uh, hundreds of years before uh, this was being sung by the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. Uh, remembering an event recorded in the second book of Samuel, chapter seven and six and seven, uh, with the movement, the, the transfer of the Ark of the Covenant uh, from its temporary home up to Jerusalem, where it would remain for a long period of time. The Ark was the ultimate symbol of God's covenant with his people. It contains the tablets given to Moses and uh, other symbols of God's covenants with Israel. It was captured by the Philistines during their war with the Israelites and um, long before Saul's reign was uh, taken about different cities of the Philistines. There was a comical episode in the first book of Samuel where it went from Ashdod and the temple of uh, Dagon got desecrated by its mere presence there, taken to Gath and then to Ekron until the Philistines eventually worked out, we really don't want this in our midst because the Ark of the Covenant is more trouble than it's worth having this powerful symbol of the Israelite God among us. And so they sent it back to the Israelites, and it ended up in a village called Kiriath-Jerim, or Jar, as it's recorded in this particular psalm. And it lived there for a long time in the house of Aminadab, about 20 years, the Bible says, the Ark of the Covenant stayed there. Uh, that village of Kiriath-Jerim in a region of uh, Judah uh, called Ephrathah, which we probably know better from the Christmas reading about uh, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Uh, so two notable villages in the region of Ephrathah, both Jar and also Bethlehem. But that's where the ark lived for about 20 years. And the episodes that this psalm recalls is when the ark was taken from Jar back up to Jerusalem by David. David had made Jerusalem his permanent capital, um, unlike the sort of travelling capital that had existed beforehand. And the capital city is inevitably the most safe place in the country, the obvious place to bring the prime relic, reliquary of your religion. It makes sense to have the ark in the place where the king is, because that's where all the soldiers are. So it was natural for David to travel down with his army to Kiriath-Jerim and bring the ark up to Jerusalem. He took, in fact, 30,000 armed men down to that little village outside Jerusalem, uh, no doubt in a big triumphant procession, uh, bringing the ark to what would be a long-term home. And it's 
that moment that we can see encapsulated in verses 6 to 9. These words were probably spoken then. We heard it in Ephratha. We came upon it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, what would become his footstool anyway, saying, Arise, Lord, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. And so they travelled up, those 30,000, bringing that ark up to Jerusalem until uh, disaster struck. Uh, There was a rot in the road, and Uzzah, one of the sons of Aminadab, touched the ark and suddenly was struck down. And they were quite scared about bringing the ark into Jerusalem at that point, so it just rested in a house outside Jerusalem, the house of Obed-Edom, until they worked. Actually, he's being quite richly blessed by having the ark in his house for three months. So actually, maybe we should bring it into Jerusalem after all. Uh, So this psalm, recalling all of those incidents that happened hundreds of years ago. And during that time, David was no doubt brooding Uh, thinking deeply about the ark, about what it meant and everything it stood for, and uh, thinking carefully about his next move with it. Should I bring it up to Jerusalem? Should I leave it in the house of Obed? Should I actually uh, bring it for the the final part of the journey? And then when it finally did arrive in Jerusalem, thinking to himself, well, hang on, I'm living in this wonderful palace built of cedars of Lebanon, given to me by Hiram of Tyre, but the ark is just living in this tent. And so eventually he came to this resolution, which is recorded in the oath uh, in verse 2. David swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyelids or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Slight expansion there of the thoughts David was having in the second book of Samuel chapter 7. Um, But that very night when he was thinking these thoughts, thinking should I build a house to put the ark in rather than this impermanent tent, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet, essentially saying, please David, don't bother. Uh, You're a man of war. I'm not going to have you build a permanent house for my ark. I want a son of yours who is a man of peace to do that. Uh, Please, I've been in a tent for hundreds of years about the wilderness, and it's absolutely fine. And so David thankfully did sleep and did give slumber to his eyelids that night uh, because Nathan said to him, it's okay, God doesn't want you to do that. You can go ahead and sleep. But David, notably, importantly, was prepared for that self-sacrifice. He was prepared for the sake of God's glory to not take slumber, to not even enter into his house that he had just finished building with these wonderful cedars from Hiram. Likewise, his army of 30,000. Note their enthusiasm in these verses for God's glory. They said, let us go, let us worship with such enthusiasm for God's glory. In verses 8 and 9, arise, Lord, come to your resting place. Uh, May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. Enthusiasm, not just um, for God himself, but also for all of his people to know him and to love him for his priests to be clothed with righteousness and to serve him rightly. A wonderful picture here, then, of the desire of a whole nation gathered together in worshipping God and being blessed by him and seeking his blessing on them. It's perhaps easy to muster enthusiasm at big events. Maybe it was particularly easy for the Israelites when they went down to Jar to gather up the ark and bring it up to Jerusalem. 
I wonder if those 30,000, two weeks later, when the ark was just languishing in the house of Obed-Edom, were quite so enthusiastic when they'd seen what happened to Uzzah in particular. The ark was still there. The promises of God were still true. God was still with them. And yet, was the enthusiasm still there? Well, likewise for us, it's uh, perhaps easy to summon up enthusiasm at big events. Uh, There's a lot of enthusiasm around the Platinum Jubilee, especially here in Little Shelford uh, recently. And the same goes for church life. It's uh, easy to see enthusiasm at times like Christmas and Easter. But the rest of the year, in fact, every day of our lives, God's promises are still there. God is still here with us. This prayer in verse 1, Lord, remember David, it is a prayer to God that he would remember his promises. It's also a reminder, though, for us to remember his promises and so to be enthusiastic about his glory. How is our day-to-day devotion to God, our day-to-day desire for God's presence and his blessing? Is that cry of the 30,000 in verses 8 and 9 the cry of our hearts? Let us go. Let us worship. Was that the cry of our hearts perhaps tonight uh, heading to church? Is that the cry of our hearts as we come to sing God's praises, as we come before him in prayer, as we come to him as we will do uh, a little bit later in our service to communion? Let us go. Let us worship. We can have that enthusiasm because God's promises to us are so great. And the king he's given us in the Lord Jesus is worth it. But God's love is not reliant on that enthusiasm. We've already confessed uh, in this service that that love is inconstant. It does ebb and flow. But God does not waver. And The final prayer at the end of that section, for the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one, is a comfort to us. Show the favour of yourself to your king. And through the the king, God will show his favour to all the people, whatever situation they're in, whatever state their hearts are in. For us then, this psalm is not just a reminder of God's promises is also a reminder to pray in his promises and we have done that again already this evening praying your kingdom come your will be done praying in a sense with David do not reject your anointed one the first half of this psalm reflects the importance of relationship with God and the second half reflects and contains a guarantee of relationship with God the grounds of our confidence and prayer and worship. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation. And her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head 
will be adorned with a radiant crown. I will do this, I will do that. God confirming his sure and certain promise of blessing. 11 and 12 there are a replication of that word to the prophet Nathan on that night when David was thinking about building a house for God. David wanted to build a physical house for God and God promised a dynastic house for David. By contrast, one of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. And there's another reply here as well, not just a reply to David's heart desire, but also one to the 30,000 who were praying for God to go to his resting place, for his priests to be clothed with righteousness and his faithful people to sing for joy. Verse 14, this is my resting place forever and ever. Verse 16, I will clothe her priests with salvation and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Prayer is answered in this psalm with promise. Prayers of David, prayers of his 30,000 troops answered with promise. Whenever we pray to the Lord, it's good to meditate also on his promises to us, his sure and certain promises of fulfillment in Christ. We don't know exactly why situations happen to us in life, but we know ultimately that God is working all things for the good. It's wonderful to meditate on all the promises contained in Scripture as we think through and pray over the concerns of life. And the prayer turns messianic as well. Did you notice how the promise in verse 11, one of your own descendants I will place on your throne, is matched in 14, this is my resting place forever and ever, here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. The one who's enthroned is a son of David, but also God himself. And he is the one, in verse 18, adorned with a radiant crown. The pilgrims going up to Jerusalem singing this song of ascent as they headed to their festival, they were singing of the Lord Jesus, the one who was descended of David and also God himself. And remarkably, Jesus himself was among them on a number of occasions. Imagine being an Israelite pilgrim going up to a festival in Jerusalem, singing this song of the king who was David's son, God himself, sitting on the throne, without knowing he was actually walking there alongside you, going up to Jerusalem. The wonderful thing is that we, as Christians, reading this psalm, have something even better than that experience, because we have the Holy Spirit with us, which Jesus said is better than having him in physical form in one place, because he is with us all, all over the world, who trust in him. Jesus is still, therefore, by our side as we read and sing and pray in this psalm. Most love songs are happy. There's a few that are sad ones about the implications of when it goes wrong, but most of them have a note of longing and hope and a real possibility of fulfilment. And that's probably how the pilgrims felt singing Psalm 132 on their way up to Jerusalem. Happy, because they could see the promises, the answers to their prayers. Likewise, we can be happy reading this psalm 
looking back and seeing how it has been fulfilled, how God has set on that throne his son. God did remember David. God does remember David and the promises to him. His king is enthroned and reigns over all that happens. Let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you for all you've done through history. Thank you for the way you showed yourself to Israel. Thank you for revealing that long-promised king and seating him among your people forever. For answering that promise you made so long ago to King David to set one of his descendants on his throne. Thank you that that king reigns over us now and forever. May our hearts praise him rightly. Amen.